This is Mike Levitt, a co-founder of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to the Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. With its competency-based framework for health value, the ACLC is working with healthcare organizations all over the country to create the workforce of tomorrow. Come join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we have Dr. Gordon Chen, Chief Medical Officer at ChinMed. ChinMed is a family-owned, physician-run organization that started in 1985 by Dr. James Chen and is now run by his family, Christopher Chen, CEO, and Gordon Chen, Chief Medical Officer, who we're so excited to have today. This is a really unique practice. This is a high-touch, technology-enabled, physician-led practice that delivers primary care with a full risk, globally capitated model, truly a pioneer in value-based care, and they're getting results. And Daniel, when I think about how this practice was born, it came out of suffering. This was a practice that was founded off the heels of Dr. James Chin, the father and founder of ChinMed, his misdiagnosis with incurable carcinoma given by the medical industrial complex two months to live. And it was a, a complete misdiagnosis and, and he's still alive and doing fine today, but his family came together and, and realized that there has to be a better way to deliver care and had a more patient centered way. And they've done such great work, 76 centers in 10 different States. They've been around for 35 years. And as I said, they're, they're doing full risk primary care. And I'm so inspired by the story. And I think our listeners are going to really learn a lot from ChinMed about how to deliver high-touch primary care. Eric, I'm so excited for them to hear this conversation. It's like you said, that this is an organization that was born out of a, a challenge, and they came up with a solution to that challenge. And it didn't come out of private equity or capital from investments looking to generate a return. And, and you mentioned their success, and I'll just highlight a couple of these things. This organization is caring for the highest risk patients in the neediest populations. So 95% of their patients are within 300% of the federal poverty level. 75% have five or more chronic diseases. 70% are racial minorities. The average age of patients is 73 years old. With all of these things added up, you would think that 
they've got real challenges for the patients and the outcomes of their patients, but they're doing so well. And just a simple example is that their patients use the hospital emergency room at a rate 34% below the national average. You'll hear more about the successes as they listen, but what's so cool is this is an expanding model and it's replicable. They're expanding throughout the country. They're increasing the number of providers that they're pulling into their model across Florida, Virginia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Georgia, Illinois. It's a model that works and it's exciting to hear the story. This is an organization that can truly win this race to value. So let's go ahead and kick it off today as we hear from Dr. Gordon Chen. Dr. Gordon Chen, welcome to Race to Value. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, before we get started, we wanted to express our admiration for your heroic work as a leader in the health value movement. And we wanted to congratulate you and the rest of the ChinMed team for being named a Fortune Magazine's 2020 Change the World list for measurable social impact, business results, innovation, and corporate integration. That is really cool. And it's such a great testament to the work of your team in moving the needle in value-based care. Thanks so much. We still don't understand how we ended up on that list, but I can tell you that we have some of the most passionate and mission-driven physicians and leaders out there. And so I'm really proud of them and what they've been able to do. Well, Dr. Chin, I thought a great way to start our conversation today would be to start with your why. And as I understand, ChinMed was created with a mission to provide care in such a way that it could alleviate suffering for those seniors in the poorest of communities, recognizing that full-risk primary care can truly be transformative in providing superior health outcomes in comparison to the sick care model that we're all too accustomed to in the world of fee-for-service. And this strong sense of purpose is what guides the physicians at ChinMed and serves as your moral compass in caring for patients. In our last conversation, you referred to ChinMed as a ministry because it's why allows those in the organization to glorify God by spreading more love and promoting better health to those that you serve. And this is so deeply moving, and it resonates with me because I believe health value is so much more than an economic imperative for our country. It's also a moral imperative. And I want to explore the spiritual underpinnings of your family-run organization because it is so different than the practices that are birthed out of private equity or venture capital they're focused primarily on generating a financial return. When we last spoke, you shared with me a bit about your family background, including your father's misdiagnosis of terminal cancer and the immense suffering that your family experienced trying to navigate a terribly complex and broken healthcare system. How did your family's suffering during your father's cancer misdiagnosis lead to ChinMed becoming a national leader in coordinated VIP patient-centered primary care for medically underserved seniors? You know, it is interesting and humbling to watch uh, how the organization has grown from where we started. We started as a family in healthcare, family uh, full of doctors, and we started out of tremendous suffering and heartache. And through that suffering, understanding what God had in store for us. And a lot of organizations right now are entering value-based care, and they're funded by private equity or, or venture capitalist resources. And we, we just had a very different start in our journey into healthcare here. And it started out 17 years ago. My dad had a little bit of numbness on his lip. 
And he found out that he had a golf ball sized mass behind his nose. And a biopsy revealed that he had cancer and he was told that he had two months to live. And you can imagine, you know, just with my parents and my brother and I hearing the news that we would only have two months left with my dad was just heartbreaking. And we really, as a family, struggled. We, we spent hours and hours on our knees praying and uh, praying for healing. And, and even to the point where my fiance and I at that time had an emergency wedding to make sure that my dad could be there with his face. And during the wedding, we found out that my dad's diagnosis was wrong and he actually had a curable cancer. It was a large B-cell lymphoma, which was potentially curable with chemo and radiation. And for us, that was just a miracle for us. It was a revealing of, of God's mercy and grace. And it just gave us hope that my dad could make it through this cancer. So after the wedding, we, we really fought as a family for my dad to get him in to the right doctors, to, to figure out how to get his treatment plan set up. And it was so disturbing to realize that as a family full of doctors, it felt like the healthcare system was working against us, right? And there were, there were ER visits for uh, seizures, for stroke, there neutropenic fever, there were different hospitalizations, different rounds of chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And as we were suffering and going through this and waiting in waiting rooms and, and having this tremendous sense of vulnerability, not knowing if my dad would make it through all of these complications, we really empathized with patients, with, with our patients, with patients around the country that we knew that they didn't have the resources or connections or medical training that we had. How were they making it? And so thank God, as my dad made it through the cancer treatment. And he became cancer-free. And it was, we're so thankful for that. We had this tremendous clarity and this burning desire as a family to take that experience and help make things right in healthcare for not only the patients that we were taking care of, but for patients across the country, right? And as a family, we said, what do we want to do with ChenMed? Well, what we really wanted to do is to glorify God by spreading more love and promoting better health in all who come to contact with us. And if, if we can do that, we can take our experiences as patients and we have to make things right, right? And bring that out into communities that we're suffering. So for us, it's not just a job. It's not just a, a career. For us, it's more of a calling. And we've just seen amazing things happen from, from my dad making it through cancer to just opportunities that have opened up for us as just a, a family full of doctors that have been able to grow and scale a model that works, a model that can bring love and bring health into communities that are suffering. We've seen things happen that we just can't explain and we just know that there's something bigger going on and we're, we're just honored to be a part of it. Dr. Chen, thanks for sharing your why. Your passion is so evident. Your story is inspirational. And, and I, for one, am just so excited to be able to have this conversation with you today. I'd like to move into understanding more about your business model for Chen Med as a high-touch, relationship-based, tech-enabled primary care practice. Your practice delivers personalized primary care. And I want to specify to the older American population. I grew up doing primary care in an organization that tried to treat everybody but you guys are specifically targeting older Americans 
you're known for a scalable approach that's resulted in 50% fewer hospital admissions compared with the standard primary care practice, a 75% reduction in ED visits and 28% lower per member costs, as well as a significantly higher use of evidence-based medications. And ChenMed centers encourage patients to see their primary care doctor frequently. You offer walk-in, same-day appointments, door-to-door transportation, on-site medications, healthy lifestyle, exercise, and balance classes, as well as urgent home visits, doctor cell phone numbers that patients can use whenever health concerns arise, and, and probably more that I missed putting on the list. But as I understand, one of the keys to ChenMed's success is this trusting relationship that's nurtured between the patient and their care team. So as I mentioned, you focus on a senior population, you partner with Medicare Advantage plans, and these private insurance companies transfer all of their risk to you. So can you help our listeners understand how this financial risk can actually lead to enhanced profitability and better patient outcomes? Your brother, Christopher, wrote in a New England Journal of Medicine article that practices shifting from fee-for-service to managing risk can actually increase practice profitability by at least 25%. So can a practice like this, like yours, really provide innovative, high-touch VIP primary care to seniors and demonstrate profitability at that level? I'd love to understand more about how risk can be a good thing for groups like yours where patients win and providers win by no longer being captive to fee-for-service and the business model has more upside profit potential than ever experienced in the old sick care model. Thanks so much for bringing this up. This is a big deal in healthcare today. And what I mean is if you have a a PCP in a traditional fee-for-service model, their business model runs on transactions or the number of patients that they're seeing per day. And it's not necessarily tied to the total number of patients they're caring for or outcomes for the patient. The other thing is in a pure fee-for-service primary care model, they only have influence over a very small piece of the pie in terms of all of the healthcare dollars. And so it really limits what PCPs can do in a fee-for-service environment. It almost handcuffs PCPs to see more volume, to take care of more and more patients, and not necessarily have the focus on outcomes. In a Medicare Advantage full-risk model for us, that means that we're responsible for all of the healthcare costs and the whole patient. So we're able to see patients in a different way. And what we do then is rather than taking care of 2,300 patients like a typical fee-for-service PCP would, or primary care physician would, we can shrink the panel sizes to 400 to 450 patients and have our focus to be on developing trusting relationships between a talented PCP and their small patient panel size. And this means that they're they're exchanging cell phone numbers, right? They're connecting frequently. They're seeing each other at least monthly. They're going deeper than the traditional things that you would think about for a doctor's visit. They're they're going deeper into the family relationships, the social structure, the social support. Um, Our physicians are encouraged to really learn all about the patient so that they have that trust between them. And so patients then, because they have tremendous access, because they, they trust their physician, well, they're picking up on things earlier than waiting to the point where they would need to go to the ER and get hospitalized. And it just makes sense. If you pick things up early, if you know that you have a doctor that you can text or call or, or reach out to, one that has 
your best interest in mind and wants you to, to achieve better health outcomes, well, you're going to achieve better health out- outcomes, right? And so basically the, the model flips primary care on its head from traditionally primary care is pushed down and not really empowered. And what we do is we elevate primary care and say, well, primary care physicians become the captain of the ship, the quarterback of the team, and direct all of the care related to you know, the small panel patients that they're taking care of. So we're really trying to set primary care physicians up for success. The full risk model empowers them to do it because if we can prevent a hospitalization, well, because we're full risk, we would have paid for that hospitalization. And instead, we can reinvest those savings upstream back into primary care. And that allows for the smaller panel sizes, um, the more accessibility, transportation, on-site medications, whatever other resources that our physicians need to take better care of their patients, we can provide, right? And so basically we're shifting resources from a reactive state in the ER, in, in preventable hospitalizations, and we're directing them upstream into more pro- a proactive approach, a more of a preventative approach. And everyone can understand why that would achieve better value. Dr. Chen, I'm so excited to hear you make the case for the full risk capitation model. I believe this holds the key for the future of primary care as the foundation for health value, which in turn will create an industry shift away from procedurally focused high-intensity specialty care to cognitively focused high-touch patient-centered primary care. Despite the case you make for the ChinMed model of care, physicians are still fearful of capitation. And there was a survey that came out in 2018 that compiled the observations from 3,400 doctors, and it showed that 60% of doctors believe that value-based care will negatively impact their practice. It's as if physicians have like Stockholm syndrome for a broken fee-for-service model that has held them captive from practicing medicine in the way that they thought they would when dreaming of becoming a doctor in the first place. And I must wonder if COVID-19 is going to be this tipping point to really create universal acceptance of full-risk primary care models that will come about, if anything, just because of the financial bloodbath that primary care practices and fee-for-service experienced this year. According to the research from Harvard, and I know you've seen this, primary care practices are projected to lose $15 billion because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's simply not a good time for most fee-for-service primary care physicians right now. They're facing a grave financial threat from the global pandemic spurred by a dramatic drop of volume. They're dealing with moral injury on top of that. And primary care physicians are really worried about their future. They're worried about their family members. They're worried about their patients and their staff. And they're worried about how to make payroll. What would you say to our primary care physician listeners out there that are really struggling and they're in need of capital? Is there, is there a silver lining to this pandemic in that it has underscored the importance of capitated contracts because the practice continues to get paid even as utilization dries up? and If the primary care community has reached that conclusion, at the very least, is it a bridge too far to assume that they can also change their mindset by realizing that value-based care can help them overcome the moral injury that they've experienced from a broken fee-for-service system? Dr. Chen, how can we release the primary care community from the chains of their fee-for-service captivity to see the brighter light of tomorrow? 
You know, I think the important thing here is for any primary care physician listening or struggling in a broken fee-for-service model, now is the time for change. Even before COVID, fee-for-service primary care was really struggling, right? They were seeing too many patients, the, the payment was clunky, and they're on this broken fee-for-service transactional model. And so what COVID did was it just revealed all the vulnerabilities of that model. And just like when you stop pedaling and you're riding a bike, then you're going to fall over. And that's what happened to fee-for-service primary care. It, it fell over. And I would be even more concerned if I were in that boat of not having an ongoing revenue stream to sustain and COVID revealed, if you don't have an ongoing revenue stream, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So what a capitated model brings is instead of just like eat what you kill, eat what you kill, it brings more consistent revenue. And so for ChenMed, for example, as we battled COVID and strove to protect our patients, we're taking care of old, poor, and sick patients across America. And so we're really concerned about their well-being we had the flexibility to pivot our resources and help patients in whatever way that they needed help. We didn't need to worry about maintaining our revenue. Our revenue was already protected. And so as physicians think about that transition from fee-for-service to value, I think that fee-for-service primary care is going to end. It's, it's too challenging to make it work. It's too draining. And I don't think that physicians like that purely transactional model. You know, physicians, particularly PCPs, they really thrive off of building strong relationships with their patients. And so what a capitated model allows, particularly a full-risk capitated model, is to go so deep into uh, relationships, but it takes boldness to transition because it's something that, you know, PCPs may not have practiced in before or may not have been trained and how to thrive in a value-based, outcomes-based model. So what I would say is fee-for-service is dying for primary care, and it's just evident in the financial struggles that we've seen throughout COVID, and I think we'll continue to see. What we're seeing alternatively is robust growth in value-based care, and so primary care doctors, rather than wait for the transition, just think now is the time. You're going to have to, to learn how to do it, and there's no easy way to tiptoe into value-based care. You almost need to, to dive right in, <laughs> dive right in and learn and be open to learning how to practice in a different way, one that's more relationship-focused, there's more accountability for for cost and for outcomes, but one where I think that physicians can really thrive. Now, what we found at ChenMed, we've been 100% focused on value-based care in a full-risk model. We have 0% of our practice in a fee-for-service mindset, right? So we're all in for this full-risk model. And what we found is the fulfilling purpose that comes when you're able to really save someone's life or wean them off of medications that they maybe didn't need or health coach patients to a position where they're losing weight, they're feeling better, they're not getting hospitalized you know, as much, they're living longer and they're, they, they feel better. That, that strengthens that relationship and that's a positive reinforcement to physicians for, for what they're doing. And it's showing that their work is making a deeper impact on their patients and also their communities. 
and physicians, they love that. You know, I think that the reason why we have a burnout issue right now with physicians is a lack of purpose. You know, is my work making a deep impact? Does it matter? Or am I just spinning my wheels? And if you're able to see tangible changes in your patients and build strong relationships with them, then wow, that feels great. And I believe that's why a lot of physicians went into medicine to really make a difference in their patients' lives. Dr. Chen, thanks for that response. I want to continue on the topic of COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that it's had on our society. And, and you talked about your flexibility, your ability to adapt your model. And I understand that there was a lot of adapting to do, and we've seen the industry adapt to the COVID-19 pandemic. And while many practices are experiencing this intense financial pressure that we've been speaking of, ChenMed is ramping up, evolving, and thriving. And telehealth is an example of this adaptation. And telehealth is now in full swing because reimbursement per visit doesn't necessarily drive your practice. As you said, it's not fee for service. And so as I understand it, the onset of the pandemic, ChenMed shifted to a 90% virtual appointments in less than a week. And your care teams expanded their support of high-risk patients by leveraging high-touch telephonic calls. Love calls, I think, is the term that you use. And these inform predictive analytics around the healthcare and lifestyle needs of the population. And every clinic remained open for urgent situations, allowing your patients who must leave their home for acute care to avoid the emergency room. Additionally, there were no layoffs or furloughs, no elimination of services. In fact, during these COVID times, ChenMed has dramatically enhanced what it is doing for patients. And clearly ChenMed is a leader in the market and that's been further illustrated during the pandemic. Can you provide more context for our listeners how ChenMed then has evolved during the pandemic and particularly how has it been able to leverage digital technology in multiple different ways? While your system was able to quickly transition to healthcare solutions and expand telephonic outreach, how do you engage these high-risk patients in your managed population, particularly the ones who are not able to afford cell phones and data plans and laptops and even don't have access to Wi-Fi? So there's a lot to unpack with what happened with COVID, right? COVID has changed the way that we live and changed the way that we practice medicine. And we are so blessed that during the COVID crisis, when it initially started, we had a very strong technologic platform and we were cloud-based. We had a very strong financial platform, which was on full risk. So we had protected revenue at that time. And we had a very strong investment in our leaders and not only had the leadership bandwidth to navigate through COVID, but we had emphasized empowering our leaders at the regional market and local center-based levels. And so our leaders were ready. And so when COVID hit, we were able to pivot to 90% virtual in less than a week because we didn't need to worry about our revenue stream. We had the leaders that we can empower and we just gave them the flexibility to say, let's do whatever we need to do to keep our patients safe. And at that point in time, we're still learning about COVID and learning how to protect ourselves. We said, listen, we have to keep our patients healthy, happy, and at home. And even bringing them into our centers at that point in time, we said we, we would rather keep them home and we will provide virtual appointments and we'll deliver things for them if they need things. And we were quite successful in protecting our patients and keeping them out of harm's way. 
The other thing we did was there was so much confusion at that point in time, right? Like patients didn't know who to believe, what, what was the source of truth. And we knew that we had trusting relationships with our patient. And so we made a commitment during that time. And patients remember they're, they're feeling isolated, they're seniors, like no one could visit them. And so we called them, each of our patients every week, and we called them love calls. And rather than wait for them to call us, we were calling them to check in on them. How, how did they feel? You know, were they depressed? Did they feel isolated? Did they have any basic needs apart from just medical needs? Do they need food? Do they need toilet paper? And if they had those basic needs, we empowered our teams. We said, listen, go ahead and meet the basic needs of your patients and we will cover you. We will cover you financially and we want to encourage you all during this crisis time to do whatever it takes to help your patients stay healthy, happy, and home. And so we were thrilled with the response. You know, our patients were so grateful that we're able to meet them and meet their needs during that difficult time. Our staff felt empowered and they, they were so thankful that they could help the patients and they were so thankful that we empowered them to be able to serve in ways that other people quite simply couldn't serve and, and they couldn't navigate during that difficult time. And so not only were we able to serve our patients, but it revealed to us that the need for our model and what we were able to do for patients and for communities was far greater than we ever realized. You know, the riot, the social unrest, all of that stuff and COVID and, and the healthcare disparities just revealed to us there was a tremendous, tremendous need for folks to go into these communities and love on patients and provide a different approach to healing and to healthcare. What we realized as well is telehealth could be highly effective in meeting patients' needs. And although we pivoted to 90% telehealth, and then we realized that as, you know, there, there is a balance that we need to find between bringing patients in, evaluating them, you know, doing physical exams, seeing them in person face-to-face -face versus in person through a computer or through a smartphone or whatnot. And so we had to, to find that right balance and then also be able to meet the needs of patients that were not tech savvy. And so we found that about 50% of our patients had smartphones and, and were tech savvy and the other 50% weren't. And so then we needed to find that right balance to create very safe environments in our centers to bring some of them back in, but then continue to leverage telemedicine where we can reduce the flow in our centers to still keep it safe for everyone involved. And, you know, I'll tell you what, that's still a work in progress, but I can, I can say that telehealth is here to stay. It was empowering to be able to deliver care virtually and not only empowering for physicians and for staff, but also for patients. The amount of patients that have reached out to us and thanked us for being able to provide care to them through technology in their living rooms and keeping them safe, there was a tremendous outpouring of appreciation and gratitude from our patients. And we saw it and we had great net promoter scores uh, even before COVID and we saw about a five to 10 percent increase in our net promoter scores throughout COVID, which was a great testament to the love that they were feeling. So Dr. Chen, as we think about caring for the most vulnerable in our society, we need to ensure that we have health equity and reduce disparities in care among different populations, which unfortunately is a result of institutional racism. And you mentioned in your comments just a few minutes ago about 
having these two historical events clashing together as one. We have this catastrophic public health crisis and the resultant economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. And then we have this plight of racial injustice in our society. And it seems to me that both of these events have really put a spotlight on health inequities within communities of color. There has never been any period in American history where the health of blacks, for example, was equal to that of whites. It seems like disparity is built into the health system. And I'll just outline a few facts to kind of relate to that point. I mean, African-Americans uh, tend to receive lower quality healthcare, including treatments for cancer, HIV, prenatal care, diabetes, preventative care. They're less likely to receive treatment for cardiovascular disease and have unnecessary limb amputations. African-American men have the worst healthcare outcomes of any major demographic. Health disparities also affect African-American women, leading to increased death rates from breast cancer, threefold risk of dying in pregnancy. Communities of color are also being disproportionately hit hard by COVID-19 due to inadequate testing. And I think about all this and the routine medical practice that continues to treat black and brown patients differently from white patients. And this truly must change if we're to transform our healthcare system. And given that 70% of chin meds patients are racial minorities, can you speak to how your practice is working to advance health equity and social justice to overcome the structural manifestation of racism that is all too common in medical care? And how is your organization examining the health-related social needs of your patient population and then working to address those in an individualized, culturally re relevant way? And then also, if you could provide maybe some context in terms of your early beginnings and in your family history and how that really helped you connect more deeply into communities that are especially challenged and underserved. Sure, sure. So first of all, COVID has revealed something to a greater extent of what we already knew, which there are racial disparities in health outcomes. It's very clear. You can have cities across America, communities that are just separated by miles, but life expectancy can vary from 10 to 20 years, just depending upon what side of the railroad tracks you, know, you live on, which is social injustice. And it tends to be the minorities, you know, African-Americans, Hispanics, that we, we see this gap in life expectancy and there's no reason for it, right? And we need to start to address why we have that gap there and aggressively close it. And first off, in a lot of these poor neighborhoods, poor communities across America, healthcare facilities are leaving the poor neighborhoods and they're going to the richer communities. And they're, they're following where they can have the biggest business opportunity. And I don't blame them for that. But as a society, we need to figure out how to go into the communities that have the greatest need. We know that COVID has higher infection rates and higher mortality in Blacks and Hispanics. And again, I think it comes down to a few things. Number one, trust. Do these communities trust the information that they're hearing? Do they trust the healthcare institutions? Do they have the resources to protect themselves from COVID? Are they working in more crowded areas? Are they living in more crowded environments that predispose them to more COVID transmissions? And I believe they're at greater risk because they have so many of these risk factors that I just mentioned. And so how can we do a better job in engaging these communities? And that's where the greatest need is. Right. So Chenmed, 
back to the calling, back to this sense of mission, we, we feel like that's where we need to go. <laughs> Why? Uh, we grew up actually, you know, the Chen family, uh, we, we struggled through poverty. We struggled in growing up in these inner city communities in, in Miami. We, we lived in downtown Miami and that, that's where I grew up. When my parents first came to Miami, my dad had started medical school. We didn't have enough money for a place to live. And so my parents and my brother and I essentially had to bounce around from house to house. And my, my dad had to look for classmates that would, would house us until we could save up enough to finally get a place in our room. So we, we lived homeless for a while. We were on food stamps. And so we, we understood what it's like to, to be suffering, to live in these you know, really poor communities. And so we empathize with them and, and, and we feel their suffering. And so we feel very comfortable going into these communities, not only comfortable, but we feel like we understand their needs and we want to help people in those communities even further, right? If that's where the need is, well, then that's where we need to go. Now, the beautiful thing about a full risk model is if you believe in the type of medicine that you can provide to heal patients, to help improve their outcomes, and you can do it in populations that have a lot of complex chronic disease and a high disease burden, that's where the greatest opportunity lies because that's where the biggest delta is. So where you have the greatest disparities in healthcare outcomes also provides the greatest opportunity to succeed in a full risk model. And so for us, as we've gone into these communities, because we have a heart for these communities, because we've suffered like many of folks in these communities have suffered, and that we believe in, in our model and being able to produce better outcomes and do it through great relationships and great medicine as well, then once that gap closes, then there are savings that can be reinvested back into primary care and reinvested back into other communities in need. And so there's this beautiful virtuous cycle. You go into a community in a forest model and you really invest in the health of that community, in relationships, in trust, right? Spread love, promote health, and you can produce savings. And because you produce savings or earnings, right? You can, you, you can produce earnings and then that can help to fund your entry into other needy communities. And so Chen Med has gone through this cycle time and time again. And as we have 76 centers this year, and next year we're opening another 25 centers and so on and so forth, we can take savings from the communities that we've been in and we can invest it into the health of these future communities. Dr. Chen, obviously your family is very important to you. And as we've discussed the impact of COVID-19 on the patients you serve, I'd like to also ask about how this disease has impacted your family. Your brother, Dr. Christopher Chen, who's the CEO of Chen Med, had a pretty harrowing experience while dealing with a COVID-19 infection. And one day he's a healthy 44-year-old doctor and executive and a triathlete who was prepared to do another triathlon. And then he gets infected and quickly is only a few shallow breaths away from being put on a ventilator. And just like the purpose your family derived from your father's cancer misdiagnosis, and how did Christopher's COVID infection and his fight for life in the ICU provide a new and continued sense of purpose and perspective? And how has this experience emboldened your family's commitment to its ministry to glorify God and deliver exceptional care to the patients you serve? COVID becomes very real when it impacts your family, right? And I only have one brother. It's just uh, Chris and I. 
And so you can imagine how close we are. We work together. We've uh, played sports together. We grew up together. And, you know, we, we live very close to each other as well. Our, our families are very tight. And so when Chris got COVID, we thought that he would get over it very quickly. And he didn't. And his symptoms got worse and worse. And he got to the point where he said, hey, hey I have to go to the ER. Okay. He went to the ER and it continued to get worse. And he lost at one point more than half of his lung capacity. He was not able to fully inhale and he was very symptomatic and he ended up in the ICU. And as a brother and as a physician and as an executive in healthcare, experiencing what it's like to not know if you're going to wake up the next day and your brother's going to be intubated or something worse would have happened to him overnight is very vulnerable. And I essentially had to serve as like his PCP, you know, coordinating the care, talking with the hospitalist, trying to get him the medications that he needed, uh, talking with the specialist, trying to expedite care in any way that I could help him. And then realizing how precious and vulnerable life is. You see, I always knew that every day is a precious gift from God. Ever since we almost lost my dad through cancer, and that was 17 years ago but almost getting a very clear reminder of how vulnerable and precious life is watching your, your brother suffer through a disease that could have easily taken his life just made it that much more real. And so what it did for, for me and for my family is it really ignited this call to action to say every day is precious. Let's make every day count. Right. And, and that's one thing. It's just reminding ourselves that, life is so short and precious, we need to really focus on the things that matter. All right. The other thing that it reignited in us was realizing that without help, patients that don't have doctors that are in the family or that don't have the support, they're all over this country and they're, they're suffering. And they're, again, they're dying unnecessarily because they don't have that support. And what we are doing at ChetMed is trying to scale out a model that gives the neediest patients that sense of having a doctor in the family, someone that is advocating for them, that has their back, even if they get hospitalized, or even if they're not in front of them, they're continuing to look after those patients. And so it reignited the urgency that we need to get this model out to as many communities, because just like we suffered and felt vulnerable patients are suffering and feeling vulnerable every day. And we have this beautiful model that can make a difference. How can we accelerate the delivery of this model and scale it out to the communities across America? Dr. Chin, thank you so much for sharing your personal story. And, you know, COVID-19 has really impacted our country in such a big way. I mean, to hear your personal story is, it makes it all the more relevant to me. And I think of COVID-19 now, I mean, it's now the number three killer in, in, in terms of disease in the country. And still, you know, the America's top killer is cardiovascular disease. And I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about preventive cardiology. Um, patients with underlying conditions are six times more likely to be hospitalized and 12 times more likely to die from COVID-19, according to the American Heart Association. And the most common underlying condition among those patients is heart disease. And research has shown that 
high-touch preventive care delivered by a primary care provider and associated specialist results in higher use of medications, fewer hospitalizations among senior patients. And preventive cardiology has the potential to have an enormous economic impact too, helping to reduce more than $350 billion of spend on care for cardiovascular treatment. And I saw recently that ChinMed led a study with the University of Miami that found that high-touch primary care coupled with early heart prevention reduced the risk of dying from COVID-19 among elderly patients by 40%. Can you provide our listeners with insights into how ChinMed is able to effectively manage cardiovascular disease in your patient population? Yeah, well, first of all, we're honored to be a part of that study that was published with the University of Miami in the American Journal of Preventative Cardiology. And, you know, essentially it showed that in patients who have a lot of chronic disease and and heart disease in particular, in our model, if they get COVID, they're 40% less likely to die. And that's just a testament to not only the importance of the high-touch model, trusting relationships, but then also as soon as you can identify a disease early, if you can manage it well, it makes a difference in patient outcomes. And so you had mentioned, you know, heart disease is the number one killer. You're absolutely right. And so that still needs to be our primary focus. And I believe that heart disease, the vast majority of it is preventable. Right. And my training in internal medicine and cardiology has further fueled it. I mean, so much of my training in cardiovascular diseases was focused on treating the disease with stents or with fancy medications. But even before you get to that point, what about just basic lifestyle changes or coaching in nutrition or activity level and then really gaining that trust with patients? and inspiring them to take the steps needed to prevent heart disease and address it early. And so I really believe that one of the biggest opportunities that we have is the prevention of cardiovascular disease. If we can inspire people to eat better, to um, be more proactive with their activity, with their training, to get on great medications, that they don't have to be that expensive. They, they can be generic medications that work great in preventing the progression of cardiovascular disease and even reversing it. If we can shift from a reactive standpoint and diagnosing heart disease in the emergency room to more proactive, to being aggressive with detecting disease early, well, then we will not only prevent unnecessary deaths, prevent unnecessary heart attacks, but we'll be able to lower healthcare costs America. Dr. Chen, you've discussed how ChenMed's been successful in leveraging advanced practice analytics and telehealth technology and your model to really care for your patients. And I'd, I'd love to learn more about your EHR works differently from commercial systems because doctors navigate fewer screens to find information. And it's partly because ChenMed works with capitated contracts rather than with fee-for-service payments So the EHR is focused on producing efficient results for patients rather than maximizing volume of services that support fee-for-service reimbursement. So can you speak to how you were able to design that system on your own and how it was able to optimize physician workflows and support superior patient outcomes? Most EHRs are focused on fee-for-service because most of healthcare is focused on fee-for-service, right? And so early on, we determined that we wanted to build something that worked 
for a full risk value-based care model. We didn't see a lot of options out there. And so we decided to build it internally. And I'm so thankful that we have amazing IT leaders and software developers, programmers. And I'm also very thankful that my dad happens to be a very brilliant, not just clinically, but also from a data and technology standpoint. And that's also one of his passions is the data management and the data flow. And he's built teams that have helped to prepare data that can be used in a way to help lead to better decision-making for doctors as they're managing their patients. And here's what I mean. In a full-risk model, if you don't have good data and you don't have good awareness of what things cost, it would be like going on Amazon and not having any prices listed. It'd be hard to make value-based choices if you didn't have any awareness of what things cost. And so one of the limiting factors right now in healthcare today is there is not price transparency. So for us, not only having an EHR that's focused on outcomes and that is focused on high touch model, but the one that can also integrate the data from the health plan, from the hospital, from from outpatient uh, medicine, from, from diagnostic centers, and bring all that data together in a way that not only do you have the full picture of what's happening with your patients, but then you also have a better understanding of how much things cost. So we don't need to pay double or triple by sending to one diagnostic center versus the other for the same type of study. You know, why pay more? So we can direct patients to places where it's more cost-effective, but they're getting the same value. And then we could use those healthcare dollars more wisely. So making the decision early on to invest in technology has really been empowering. And I'm so proud of, of our IT teams that they've been able to make a tremendous impact on our care delivery and helping us also with analytics and with flow to make better decisions on which patients we need to see more intensively and which patients need different care pathways. Dr. Chen, I wanted to ask you about workforce development. Here at the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative, our chartered purpose as a nonprofit organization is to support the reskilling and upskilling of the healthcare workforce to support value-based care delivery. And we have so much in common in terms of our commitment to workforce development. And I'm excited to see that ChinMed shares this passion and you've been able to bridge the gap between workforce talent and value-based readiness through your own programming to support the workforce at ChinMed. ChinMed's been able to execute on a successful value-based care model with a very, very significant, comprehensive and sustainable healthcare workforce management strategy. You've initiated the ChinMed Accelerated Leadership Academy, for example, which allows selected participants to learn the complexities of Medicare Advantage in a fast-paced nine-month training program. You're really focused on developing the leaders of tomorrow as that point where the rubber hits the road, where you can build a successful company and then be able to build leaders to carry it forward. Can you briefly walk us through the ChinMed Leadership Academy and your commitment to both physician and executive leadership development, as well as the workforce training for everyone in the interdisciplinary care team? Certainly, you know, preparing physicians and healthcare leaders for success is critical to what we do. Starting with physicians, you know, physicians are trained 
clinically. They tend to be trained in fee-for-service hospital systems and tend not to understand value-based care or have not had significant investments or time training in terms of leadership development, both personal and then both team leadership development. And so at ChenMed, we are committed to being a physician-led organization because we think that physicians really understand intimately what patients need to thrive and to do well. And recognizing that there's a gap between where physicians are when they come out of training, or even if they've been out in practice for a while, and where they need to be to thrive in a value-based care model, we decided to build our own leadership development program. And so for any physician coming into ChenMed, we have designed a black belt training program for them, which is essentially a nine to 12 month program that focuses on leadership development, focuses on influence, understanding the key components of thriving in a value-based care model, but then also helping physicians understand how they can change patients' behavior. So it's not just knowing the information, it's how do you not only know the information, but apply it and inspire patients in a way that they actually change their behaviors. And so that's been critical for us. Physicians have loved being invested in, right? Um, and learning you know, things that they never learned in, in medical school. And, and it's one of the things that really excites me. The other thing that we wanted to do is to help develop physicians and business leaders together and having a greater understanding of how to be empowered to run value-based care business and to grow and thrive it, realizing that for ChetMed to be able to scale across America, we're not going to do it without training leaders and empowering them to transform care in communities across America. So we really view leadership development as critical. And we've been so blessed because of our growth and because of the opportunities that come from growing, you have more experiential leadership training for our leaders, right? Whether or not it's physician or business leaders, since we're growing so fast, then our leaders get the opportunity to apply what they've learned in the real world and then um, learn from their mistakes and, and get preceptorship, get coaching, get mentorship in a way that just other organizations you know, aren't designed to do. So our physicians have what we call a humble healer approach, where it's very common for physicians to coach each other, even in the exam room. So they'll join each other and help each other to learn, you know, what their blind spots are and how they can improve their interaction or their influence with patients. And that continues as physicians grow in different levels of management and also um, understanding, you know, the key business principles of what you need to do and what you need to understand to thrive in a full risk value-based care model. So I think the future for ChenMed is to continue to just produce outstanding physician and business leaders in healthcare that can be empowered to transform care in communities across America. And in what's amazing is we have incredible leaders now, and we tend to attract the people that want to grow and want that personal development and that investment. An example of that is with executive coaching. A lot of our physicians go through executive coaching that would only be reserved for like high level healthcare executives, you know, outside of ChenMed. And so for us, we say we, we really want physicians to be leading. And so we need to give them the tools and the support to allow them to lead because that's how we're going to grow and that's how we're going to scale.
Dr. Chen, you've mentioned it a couple of times. So as we wrap up our conversation, I know our listeners would love to hear more about the future growth of ChenMed. And right now you're at 60 centers in 10 different states. You've said that you're going to finish the year around 75 and add another 25 in next year. Where your growth used to be triple over five years, you've hyper-accelerated your growth strategy by looking to quadruple over three years, which is just amazing to me and shows that your high-touch primary care model can really replicate to scale as you've been talking about. Can you elaborate on your growth plans and how this aligns with ChenMed's mission to expand its practices to hundreds of underserved communities and deliver better healthcare to those in need? And which communities are you targeting? I mean, how do you choose where you're going? Recognize you've talked about the poor communities, the Medicare Advantage penetration. We're not, you know, assuming you're following the same strategy, you're not targeting the deep pockets and rich communities. You know, so curious about how you target those. So as we think about the future for ChenMed and the growth that we're expecting in ChenMed, I think it's important to circle back on the why. And we have a model that can reduce hospitalizations 30 to 50%. We have a model that we believe can help patients live about five years longer. We've shown that in COVID patients, our patients have a 40% lower mortality. And if we have a model that has proven to deliver tremendous health outcomes results, then we have a moral imperative to get that model out to as many communities as possible. And so we have a desire to grow ChenMed as fast as we possibly can while maintaining a very strong sense of our outcomes and our culture. And so we wouldn't want to grow just for the sake of growing. The growth is to get our model out to needy communities, but to do it in a responsible way, one that prioritizes our culture and one that prioritizes strong outcomes. And then if we can do that well, then I think that we would uh, fulfill our purpose well to glorify God by spreading more love and promoting better health in all who come to contact with ChenMed. And so we're thinking about the, the growth curve and we look back in the past and we said, okay, we've, we've been able to, to triple our size every five years or so. And so when we initially were thinking about continuing that, we were challenged by our board to say, knowing what our model can do, why wouldn't we push ourselves to accelerate growth faster and also recognizing that there there are so many seniors out there and they're they're seniors aging into to Medicare in record rates like 10,000 seniors every day and there's also this primary care shortage right what are we going to do to help those seniors that tend to be the most vulnerable because they're in the last stage of their life and and a model like ours has been proven in seniors and so we would love to to be at a point where we can not only grow 25 centers next year, but then ramp up the growth and grow 50 to 60 plus more centers in the year after that and continue to ramp up our growth. And so we're thinking about how we can build a strong foundation where we can truly scale. Now, I've got to say, ChenMed has never been as well positioned to grow and scale than now. And so just so thankful for that. Uh, I, I think we're also very blessed as we look back, we've been able to grow while we've improved our outcomes. And so just you know, looking back, and even as we've grown 30%, we've 
improved our outcomes by 20% and we've improved our engagement scores, you know, with our team members, it's so important to really have that strong culture, right? And, uh, and make sure we're taking care of our physicians, our team members first, before we can go out and take care of, you know, other patients. And so we've actually improved our culture and improved our engagement as we've grown. And because we've been able to do that, that's emboldened us to say, let's see if we can grow faster. Patients need it, and we believe that we can do it. We believe that we have the foundation to grow and to scale. The thing that, that we need and, and the thing that we continue to look for is how can we get more and more physicians, healthcare leaders, team members that also want to transform care in a mission-driven, in a meaningful, in a proven way? And how can we inspire more and more people to join ChenMed in what we're doing and literally change America and perhaps change the world. And if we can have physicians and healthcare leaders and team members that understand the need and that share in our vision, in our mission, in our passion for what we're doing, well, then we believe that we can change the world. Dr. Chen, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. We really enjoyed our conversation today. And for our listeners out there who connected with your why, especially primary care physicians looking for a better way to transform care in a mission-driven way, how can they learn more about ChenMed? They can learn more by visiting our website, www.chenmed.com forward slash physicians. They can also reach out to, to any of our leaders on LinkedIn and follow us on LinkedIn. And we'd be happy to connect them you know, with our team members, with our leaders, and start the process of how they can transform care in the neediest communities. Thank you so much, Dr. Chen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful spending this time with you, and thank you for allowing me to share our story. I, I really do appreciate your passion, and um, I, I could feel I, I can feel y'all's passion and understanding. Um, you know, really knowing the data, knowing knowing what we do, uh, knowing what works out there, and and thank you for what you're doing. I mean, I, I, if we can accelerate this move to value-based care and really inspire more people to go into primary care then think we're on the right track. And this is what America needs. We, we don't need more specialists. We need more primary care champions in the right model.